Good morning, friends. Grateful to be with you uh, in, a, in a galaxy. A long time ago, in a galaxy far and away, I was a political science major. Yeah, represent, right? Uh, after that, I did a graduate degree in political philosophy, moved to Washington, D.C., hoping to get a job in politics. Uh, somewhere in there, I got saved and then felt called to ministry and then ended up going to seminary and then ended up starting to write and found myself writing on things like church and state and a whole host of things, and even on this topic of authority, which is what we're going to think about today. Authority is something I've always sort of studied in one form or another academically, but then in my own life, it's been a crucial topic because I have always hated authority. I was sort of the maximal nonconformist growing up, oldest son, younger, three younger siblings, and I, I knew what I wanted. And I was happy to disagree with you about what I wanted. If I'm, in, if I'm in a room of Republicans, I would be the only Democrat. If I was in a room of Democrats, I'd be the only Republican. Something in me just wanted to resist whatever authority was in or around me. And certainly any discussion of the topic. That's instinctive somehow to me. And yet the Lord, interestingly, used a dramatic moment in my Around the time I was getting converted, I would say in my, my early 20s, 22, 3, 4, somewhere in there, where I was confronted with a pastor's authority and I was called to submit. And strangely, somehow by the power of the Holy Spirit, I did. And the Lord used that dramatically in my own life to begin to recognize submitting to authority is a good thing. It actually grows you. And it was after that, little by little, I began being placed into positions of authority. Somehow, submission was the path to authority. What is, what is, what is authority? That was the question I began to think about and culminated in a book I, I wrote recently called Authority. And I want to just a few remarks for you this morning from that. Authority has not been a popular topic, I'd say, at least since Genesis 3, though it has become especially unpopular of late, I think we can say we're told we're not able to trust the authority of the government, the church, the pastor, the media, the scientific establishment, definitely not men, and probably not our parents, at least those who insist on keeping their own rules. So friends, watch out for deep state, watch out for big Eva, mainstream media, me too, church too, abusive pastors, and the list goes on. And both the political right and the political left have their list of bad guys we need to watch out for, right? The trouble is we can't live without authority. Should we drive on the right side of the road or on the left side? How does this game work? Uh, who is married to whom? Am I responsible for these kids? What does it mean when she says she was assaulted? The solution to bad authority, it turns out, is not no authority, but good authority. Let me say that again. The solution to bad authority, it turns out, is not no authority, but good authority. Just ask the child who's been abused, the minority who experiences discrimination, the church member whose conscience is violated. 
In each case, justice requires some other authority figure to step in and rescue. Now, as college students, you are in the process of being trained to use authority well. As you step further into life, more and more authority will be given to you in this or that domain. So have you ever stopped and thought to yourself, okay, what exactly is good authority? Everybody's talking about a bad authority. Well, we get, well what is bad authority? What's the difference between bad authority and good authority? Eight points. Here we go. Number one, authority is a good and dangerous gift. Authority is a good and dangerous gift. So my friend Anthony told me about a couple of coaches he had in high school, one good, one bad. The good coach had high expectations, drilled the team, offered correction, worked them hard, yet he also knew the boys' limits, sometimes joined them in the drills, let them know he was for them. He cared more about their good than his own ego. And so for him, the boys worked hard, played hard, won games. Meanwhile, Anthony explained the bad coach did just the opposite. He seemed more interested in feeling good about himself. Therefore, he belittled the boys, played favorites, pitted them against one another, mocked them. For him, they played poorly, lost games. Authority is a good and dangerous gift. A friend, you can use authority for great good or for great harm in someone's life. Authority in creation and redemption, good. Authority in the fall, bad. And as Christians, we need to keep one eye on each at all times. What you'll find is in various circles, some people love to talk about good authority, some need to talk, love to talk about bad authority. But if, if your Bible includes a creation, fall, redemption, glorification storyline, like mine does, you need to keep one eye on each, always. Authority well used, said King David, from the last words of David, is like, he says, 2 Samuel 23, authority well used is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. Can you, can you see it? Sun coming down, rain coming down, a field of, of grass, fresh water on it, the sun comes out, that, that grass is a vibrant green. That is what good authority does. If you ever had a good parent, good coach, good teacher, you know that. You tell stories about them. Meanwhile, authority wrongly used lies egregiously about God. It tells the world that he uses his authority to harm. Number one, it's a good and dangerous gift. Number two, good authority doesn't steal life, but creates it. Bad authority steals, oppresses, uses, usurps, exploits, violates, undermines, destroys, dehumanizes, annihilates. Sometimes bad authority wears an empathetic and understanding face. I understand how you feel. Just listen to me. Do what I say. Good authority creates builds up, strengthens, disciples, disciplines, corrects, encourages, gives opportunity, gives life, passes out power. Think of God. He created the universe 
And then he exercised rule by authorizing, passing out power to Adam and Eve and says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Psalm 8, commenting on that, says he crowned them with glory and honor, put all things under their feet. In other words, authority is not a necessary evil, as sometimes I read even from fellow Christians. Rather, it goes to the right to the heart of human existence. Friend, you were created by God to rule. That is a central part of what it means to image God creating and ruling even as he creates and rules. Like the word authority, it authors life. Good authority is the mother mothering, the teacher teaching, the pastor modeling. Good authority says, here's how you swing the club. Now let me put it in your hands. Here's how you play the sickale. Now, now you sit down and you play the scale. One of my daughters can be a bit absent-minded. On one occasion when teaching her to drive, she was barreling towards a red light, not seeing it. Emma, Emma, Emma. Finally, she stops. I get home, I walk in, I say to my wife, that girl will crash one of our cars. And immediately we both thought, are, are, are we being irresponsible to let her get her license? Well, then we, almost as quickly, we also thought, well, no, th this is what it means to, to, to grow and to instruct and to uh, uh, give people a chance. It means taking those risks, uh, even the risk of your car. Good authority creates life. Into that story, she's driving and she's doing great, hasn't crashed my car yet. Number three. Good authority is not unaccountable but submits to a higher authority. Good authority is not unaccountable but submits to a higher authority. Think of the incarnate son. He only did what the heavenly father told him to do, only said what the father told him to say. By submitting to the father's authority perfectly, he proved himself to be worthy of all authority. So all authority in heaven and on earth, he says, in the final lines of the gospel have been given to me. It turns out authority and submission are two sides of one coin. By learning to submit, we learn to lead, which is to say, friends, never put into a position of authority somebody who doesn't know how to submit to others around him or her, who doesn't know that all human authority is relative, never absolute. Only God's authority is absolute. All human authority is always accountable to someone, even the king of Israel. Deuteronomy 17. A pastor once asked me how he should instruct a woman who had shoved her daughter, teenage daughter, into a fireplace in a fit of anger over the daughter's insolence. Well, in addition to apologizing to her daughter, I advised, the daughter also needs to see that mother submit to whatever authorities God has placed in her life, at least if she ever wants that daughter to trust her authority again. Good authority is submissive. It's accountable. 
Number four, good authority is not unteachable but seeks wisdom. Not unteachable but seeks wisdom. Compare the two pharaohs, one at the time of Joseph, one at the time of Moses. One sought the counsel and wisdom of, of a slave pulled out of prison. The other refused to accept the counsel, the wisdom of, of an adopted prince raised in the palace. One saved his kingdom. One destroyed his kingdom. Bad authorities believe they already know everything there is to know. Good authorities seek out wisdom as hidden treasure. So learned NASA. Before the Columbia and Challenger space shuttle disasters, the agency had ignored the advice of its flight engineers. In both of those cases, concrete objections, this shuttle's not ready. And in both cases, people died. And so NASA instituted a, a, a set of flight readiness reviews, FRRs, in which they would spend days, even weeks, reviewing everything possible, seeking out all the wisdom they could before sending shuttles back into space. Many lives, of course, were saved by that. Good authority is not unteachable, but seeks wisdom. Number five, good authority is neither permissive nor authoritarian, but administers discipline. Neither permissive nor authoritarian, but administers discipline. Failing to discipline and draw boundaries for children, for instance, creates, you might call them brats, you might call them narcissists, kids centered on themselves and ruled by their own feelings. Boundaries teach a child. You're not the center of existence in the universe. You must relinquish some of your desires, conform yourself to wisdom and structures of the world around you and consider other people. Uh, not only that, undisciplined children never learn the humility of accepting fences and disappointments. And so then when college and adulthood impose those boundaries, a failing grade, an employer's reprimand, even countering people with different political perspectives, they claim to be triggered, regard themselves as victims. Sociologists in turn write long books about what contributes to a victim mentality, yet the larger problem is the previous generation's failure to discipline their children and set up boundaries for them. Good discipline, like trimming a rose bush, causes people to flourish. It makes the runners run faster. Spouses love better. The Lord discipline the ones he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And at the same time, friends, we, we all know stories of harsh and abusive authoritarians who discipline didn't strengthen but diminished those underneath them. And friend, you just here you need to know yourself. Do, do you err in the direction of permissiveness, or do you err in the direction of severity? It's a good question to ask yourself. It's a good question to ask the people around you. It's a great question to ask even people, if the Lord ever permits, under you. Before I went to write the book, Authority, I started by asking people under, around, and above me, how would you say I use my authority? And be honest, so that I can write honestly about this 
topic. Friends, I think that's an exercise we all should do. If, if you mean to lead, you should also mean to learn from others, the good and the bad, so that you do not squander and heap up judgment for yourself in misusing the authority that God would give. Number six, good authority is not self-protective but bears the costs. Is not self-protective but bears the costs. The temptation in leadership is to use the control we possess to push the costs downward. So I'm sitting comfortably in my chair in the family room. So is my nine-year-old daughter on the other side of the room. And I say to her, hey, Sophie, sweetheart, will you, will you go get daddy a drink of water? Because I know at age nine, she's still happy to serve me. Now, there might be good reasons to do that, teaching her to honor her father and so forth. But I know what's going on in my heart. What's going on in my heart is I don't want to spend the cost of getting up out of this chair. And she can therefore spend the cost of getting up out of her chair. I'm pushing the costs downward. Do you see how that works so easily? Now, no doubt part of being an authority is distributing the costs of labors to different parts of the body or organization. A general says, you know, soldiers, storm that hill. You got to do that. Good leaders will delegate. Still, there is a sense in which good leaders seek as best they can to minimize the costs for those beneath them, all the while they can, absorbing the costs upwards into themselves, using the extra power or strength they have to spend for the sake of others. They, they would spare those beneath them of difficulties and hardships. That's the job. And in that sense, being boss often is and should be one of the hardest jobs in any group. So how often is the school principal the first to show up in the morning in the last car in the parking lot at the end of the day? So with the hardworking father, so with the coach. And friends, isn't this exactly what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but serve and give his life as a ransom for many? Number seven, not all authority is exercised in the same way. This is a, kind of a long one. Not all authority is exercised in the same way. The Bible outlines at least two different kinds of authority, authority of command and authority of counsel. Okay, and I think understanding these two categories will help us understand the concept generally. With both authority of command and authority of counsel, you have the moral right to impose commands, commands that must be obeyed, both categories, Okay. What's different about them? Well, somebody of the authority of command also has the right to enforce as an act of discipline that command. There's an enforcement mechanism. Whereas with an authority of counsel, there is no enforcement mechanism. There is no means of discipline if the person disobeys, okay? A few illustrations I think will help. The parent of a young child has an authority of command. The parent of a young child can enforce what he or she asked the child to do. The Bible gives us the word, the rod, the power of the rod, however you interpret that, to enforce a command. Sweetheart, it's time to go to bed. You need to go to bed now. The state, the state also has an enforcement mechanism. One word in the Bible for it, the power of the sword. Police officers are, slow down your car. You gotta do it. A church. Uh, the one word there is the keys. 
or you could say excommunication. There's an enforcement mechanism, okay? So, so parents of young children, the state, churches as a whole, power of the rod, the power of the sword, power of the keys. There's an enforcement mechanism. Okay, what about husbands? Enforcement mechanism? I hope you say the answer is no. Think through the whole Bible. Is there any place where a husband would ever discipline his wife? No. It's an authority of counsel. Now, some of you might disagree with me on this next one if you come from different polities, but elders. Can the pastor invite you to his office and say, excommunicated, you're out of the church? I would say no. I would say in the Bible, that responsibility is given to congregations. Elders and husbands have an authority of counsel. They can't force, can't require, can't discipline that which they can command as they, as they lead about. And what this does, friends, is dramatically change the nature of how an authority of counsel is exercised. Husband and elder authority is exercised very differently than an authority of command. A few subpoints to point seven. First, subpoint one, it requires patience. Authority of command asks for immediate results. Authority of counsel does not ask for immediate results. With authority of command, I can say to my kid, sweetheart, it's bedtime now. Again, the police officer can say, you need to do this now. Not with an authority of counsel, however. You are to, as Paul says to Timothy, teach with great patience. You're to live with your wife in an understanding way. You're playing the long game. The husband's seeking unity over time. The elder is seeking righteousness over time. You gotta play the long game. You're working to woo her. Be winsome with them. It's a different kind of authority. Second, subpoint two. It requires honor towards those you're leading as equals. Now, a police officer or the parent of a young child can override the agency of the child. Again, you may not want to do this, but what we are getting in the van now, you don't have a choice. You say to your three-year-old who's throwing a little fit. A husband, an elder, can never override the agency of those they would lead which is to say their elder and husband authority is suited to partnership and collegiality because they don't hold the ability to coerce. Their authority requires collaboration and involvement and consent. Third, it requires presence. An authority of command doesn't require presence. The government can make an announcement, issue it from afar. You have to obey it, not with an elder or a husband's authority. Rather, they seek to be with those they lead. They seek to know those they lead, to study them, to understand, to not ask too much, to work together, moderate what they say based on body language and so forth. Number four, subpoint four, authority of counsel is a sin absorber. A sin absorber. The fact that you do not have the power of discipline means, get this, you are to be a kind of sin absorber. Very often your job as a, as a husband or as a father is to absorb the consequences of their sin. You don't retaliate. They might use that tone with you, but you do not use that tone with them. You take it in the chest. You absorb it. You respond with gentleness, kindness. 
An elder, says Paul, must be sober-minded. You ever give much thought to that one? What does that mean, sober-minded? means he's heavy. He's got weight. He's the pole, not the flag. He doesn't have to raise his voice. Weak men raise their voices. Strong men don't have to. They know who they are before the Lord. They know what God has given them to do. So you let them sin against you and you take it. You don't retaliate. Again, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Number eight and finally. Rules one to seven don't matter if you're the Pharisee and not the tax collector. Rules one to seven don't matter if you're the Pharisee and not the tax collector. Uh, friends, to some degree, you and I have both misused our authority by lording it over others. We've, we've used our leadership to serve ourselves rather than others. And for us to begin anywhere in this conversation and confessing these things would be to mimic the Pharisee and not the tax collector. Oh God, I, I thank you. I'm not like those abusers of authority over there. I'm more righteous. Part of what's wrong on this planet is that each one of us assumes, I've used my authority relatively well. When the Bible tells us over and over, no, only one man used his authority perfectly well. His name was not Adam or Abraham, Moses or David, Miriam or Mary, Peter or Paul. Rather, it was the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And therefore, if we think we can simply adopt the seven lessons above, I've already said, we will remain proud. And if we remain proud, we will eventually use our authority in a way that hurts or belittles or undermines those whom we lead. We will use our authority wrongly, even if we dress it up with nice clothes and nice manners. As Jesus said, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad. And we need new natures, friends, so that we can lead out of those new natures. And to gain those new natures, we must begin by getting low, confessing our sins, putting our hope in Christ. Which means this requires recognition and confession at the deepest levels of who we are. Not, Lord God, I know I've misused my authority once or twice. Sorry for the slip up. But, Lord God, by fallen nature, I am a misuser of authority. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Using authority well requires repentance, Faith, looking to Christ. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks and praise for sending the Lord Jesus Christ, who perfectly submitted to your will, perfectly obeyed, and so rightly won all authority in heaven on earth. We give you praise, Lord Jesus, for doing what we could not do. And so, Lord, we also confess that we have, in our little ways and maybe sometimes in big ways, misused the authority you've given us. Forgive us, we ask. Father, thank you for those good authorities that we've seen in our lives. Some of us can point to parents. Some can point to pastors or coaches or teachers. Some bosses. Thank you for them. 
And Father, we pray then you would, even as you forgive us, you would help us to lead as those following Christ have led. Help us to use our authority well. We pray this all in the Son's name, amen. Thank you, friends. Go in peace.